Welcome back to episode 108 of the Brew Theology Podcast. We are talking about the soul tonight. Janelle, Joshua, Elizabeth are here, and we have some conversational guidelines. It's always good to talk about before we get going, which we don't always do that on the podcast. So the first one is no soapboxes allowed, so nobody gets the last word. Please be passionate. There's a fine line there. Respect all others and their viewpoints. And extend courtesy by listening well. Lastly, everything is up for discussion. Yes, don't be an eggplant emoji. There you go. Yeah. That'll work. So we'll do some intros and then we'll dive into soul. And everybody here knows my intro. And if you've been listening, you know this too. So I'm going to keep this very short. I grew up Southern Baptist, evangelical state of Texas. I always have to put in Texas because yes. it's, it's like an emphasis of intensity there. Yes. And the last 20 years have spent a lot of deconstructing throughout uh, just my theological journey of gleaning from Anabaptist, the, the Methodist Wesleyan tradition, the first century Jewish Jesus story, and a little bit of Pentecostal mystical, also with some process and liberation leaning. So I'm an open tent, Anabaptist method, Jewcostal, Jesus guy who's going to hell with the rest of you people. <laughs> We're going to have the most fun. <laughs> and happy Hanukkah. Yeah. Tonight we lit the third candle, teaching Caroline, my oldest, about the Shamash candle, the servant candle, going from right to left. And we wrote a story, uh, well, kind of together, but yeah. So it's fun to, re- you guys to retell that. the dreidel that. game. My kids and we I do. did the candles and dreidel game. They still look back yeah. at that fondly. Caroline, it's, it's great because she's, she's getting competitive. Yeah. So for like the first few years of her life, which I know when you're a toddler and whatnot, you're like, you shouldn't put too much into it. But man, like Laura and I are very, we're very competitive. And we're looking at this little kid going, she's just not competitive. So now I'm like, we watched her playing dreidel. I'm like, yeah, she wants to win. <laughs> <laughs> so it's fun. Uh, I'm Janelle. I was born and raised in the Church of the Nazarene. I moved to Colorado six years ago and finally uh, walked away from that tradition. Um, I usually go by the label of progressive Christian um, when I'm willing to use the word Christian in today's environment. Um, I like Jesus, and I think he has a lot to teach us and is a good example and the things that he actually did and the things he said and he meant, those are the kinds of things that I want to try to follow. Um, so I'm a progressive Christian, and just because this is happening right now, um, I'll, I'll just mention that recently I was really awakened at the Parliament of the World's Religion to Climate, and the true immensity of what we're facing with climate change and with the conference that's going on today in South America. Um, just if that's something that you haven't explored, I want to just encourage you to explore it because I do think that it is an, a, an intricate part of our faith journey, uh, keeping this planet alive. And um, so that's just two free cents on my intro. Uh, my name is Elizabeth, and I grew up fundamentalist Baptist, specifically the General Association of Regular Baptists, which is almost as strict as you can get. And through the years, I wandered more toward evangelicalism and charismatic for a while. And and now I'm still shedding a lot of crap that I've learned over the years and embracing a lot of new learning and new truths. My name is Joshua. <clears throat> I grew up conservative fundamentalist. That's the best way I could describe it. Um, my family would call it non-denominational, but 
That's just what it is. Um, over the course of the last couple of years, I've gone through a deconstruction phase, um, trying to really find out what I believe. Um, recently, thanks to a good friend, I now have a new label, and it's optimistic agnostic. Love it. I think it wraps up really where I'm at. I really don't know, but I'm I'm optimistic that there's something good out there. Yeah. So I'm pressing in and happy to be here. Glad to have you. Yeah, and that's better than a pessimistic Christian. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> hey, <laughs> I'm not pointing at you. Like my hand is moving in this direction, and it's not literally toward you, Janelle. I'm just referring to hypothetically people on my left. No, just joking. Yeah, if if do you want to label yourself as a pessimistic Christian? Um, I mean, for fun, just why not? Yeah, we'll go with it. Miguel de la Torre would be proud. Yes, yes. Theology of hopelessness, everyone. Despair. Yeah. Does that, make, that makes Pete my homeboy, right? Yeah. Okay. Pete, Pete, yeah. The, the nihilist that Pete is. That's Peter Rollins, everybody. So I love this story. This is a story about Rabbi Akiva. And this is a an ancient rabbi, probably one of the most famous rabbis ever to have lived. And he was doing what rabbis do. He was walking along a trail. He was uh, wrestling with the text, the Torah, praying, and he got lost. There was a fork in the road. He went the wrong way. And he stumbled upon a Roman garrison, and then he hears a voice pretty much right next to him that says, Jew, who are you? Why are you here? And he was startled, taken aback. Again, the loud voice, Jew, who are you? Why are you here? And then as he figured out where he was, <laughs> a, a Jewish rabbi next to a Roman garrison and a Roman soldier, he said, uh, how much do you get paid to ask that question? And the soldier said, two drachma a day. And he said, well, I'll double that if you stand outside of my door every morning and you ask me the same question. Who are you and why are you here? So I, I love this intro because it's a, these are soul questions. These are the questions that we ask ourselves all the time. So last week, our Denver community met at Seedstock Brewery, and we had four or five different tables tackling these kinds of questions. We talked about the origins of the soul and just the biblical origins of the word, even in Hebrew, which is nefesh, which literally means life and self. And then um, even in the Greek, it says suke. That's where we get psychology. So it's the mind. It's also like the seat of you know, your emotions and your intellect and will. Um, but for the most part, there is a distinction between the soul and the spirit, because in the Genesis story, even that we have in Genesis, you know, cr the creation account, the Ruach, the spirit of God, breathes into the, the, the ground and out comes nefesh, soul. So it's just really life. It's not until you get into like Neoplatonic thought where Christianity, and may, I don't know, maybe aspects of Judaism, I, I can't speak for, you know, modern Jews today, but definitely Christianity, it becomes this disembodied thing to where the soul is more like the spirit, but more a more rooted sort of Judeo-Christian understanding, according to at least the words that we've been given and the stories that we've been given is that the soul is about life in the, in the most rooted sense. Um, we don't have any Hindus around the table today. They would disagree. That's more of a disembodied, the Atman. And then Buddhists, they don't really believe in a soul and probably because they're defining it the way that the Neoplatonic people have as well, which is a disembodied slash, you know, quote unquote spirit. So we talked a little bit about that. So then we moved to the ego as defined as the false self and needing to understand what that is uh, based on how we are to differentiate between spirit, soul, and this thing called ego. Obviously we are people who have one. 
we would all agree that's a part of who we are. It's needed to survive and to function in the world and just fear-based tactics, survival and whatnot. Um, but we, we kind of dove more into that, how there is an, un, um, an element of the ego that can take, I guess, take over the self, probably like how the spirit can take over the self as well. And it can lead to destructive tendencies, possibly some narcissistic tendencies and control issues and fear-based stuff and all kinds of, of messiness. Moved on from that, and we talked about the layers of the soul, which we can probably get, we can go, we, let's go back to that a little bit later. And then lastly, how we we transcend the spirit, which is this disembodied element, also dealing with potential spiritual entities, God, uh, angels, whatever you want to call it, um, differentiated from, from soul, and soul is more, again, rooted in like sort of the earthiness of self. So you, you transcend the spirit and the, you don't ignore the ego or the spirit, but the soul is more about um, who you are and the earth around you, um, who you really are, connected to the earth around you. So a lot there that we can, there's some good quotes here by uh, Ram. Rayomi, Rabbi, <laughs> Rabbi Naomi, uh, Levi, or Levy, Levy, sorry. And then also Bill Plotkin from the Animus Valley Institute. So just kind of to start off, just curious what you all grew up with, how you were raised, what did you think about soul, what were you taught? And we'll just start there and see where it takes us. I think in the fundamentalist church I was raised in, soul was the only thing that was important. Um, where your soul was going to spend eternity was what mattered. And there was a complete disconnect between the body and soul. And the body was unimportant. And and this is the Midwest, too, where people aren't into health like they are on the West Coast. And so um, just there was no, you weren't supposed to find pleasure in your body and your appetites. And it was all about keeping your soul pure for heaven. And I think a lot of fundamentalists, grew up with that version of it. Yeah, I definitely experienced that in my holiness tradition because sanctification was the end goal. And so not only is it it's purity and it's to get to the state where you're not sinning anymore. And our my specific tradition um, had a lot of no's. No alcohol, no smoking, no cards, no gambling, no dancing, you name it, and we didn't do it, and we were known for not doing it. And so I think that, but I kind of agree with you. Like a lot of those rules are body rules, but the whole point was that your soul not be, you know, tarnished by any of those activities. So, yeah, the soul was definitely, I think, more important. So you save your body in order to save your soul? So sex is a no-no. So mm-hmm, right. that, that's the part that's yep. the interesting contradiction. Like if yeah. the body doesn't really matter, why not just go have sex? Yeah. But yeah, sex was such a big deal. Yep. To save your soul, you got to save your body. Yep. It's That's just, help me understand that. But maybe maybe that's a rabbit trail we can come back yeah, to there's later. there's no logic in it. Yeah. <laughs> Except that yeah. the church's continual desire to control anything that you find pleasure in outside of the church. Well, you, yeah. and you can't see the soul. Like... To say I'm going to control the soul, that's great. There's no way to do that. There's no, there's nothing to see. So the only way that we have to control mm. is to control the body. Mm. Um, that Because that's the only right. way we can see so, that your soul is obedient yeah. 
to what's going on. Yeah, I definitely grew up in a very similar kind of household to where the soul really was all that mattered. Now, we we would take pleasure in things, uh, but it was funny because in, in a spiritual context, when you would talk about spiritual matters, you couldn't really talk about those pleasures, even though we all know we had those pleasures. But it was about saving your soul for heaven to be one with yep. God and the celestial beings and whatnot. And yet... Um, yeah, I don't know how that really worked for any of us growing up because, man, talk about like rep- repressed sexuality mm-hmm. and everything else. And I mean, you, you look at a lot of us in this private school that I went to, we all went to, you know, we all went to college. And one of the colleges that we went to was the one that I graduated at was Baylor University. Mm-hmm. Talk about a party school that was, you know, <laughs> and the parents in the find guise out, of Christianity. Yeah, talk about the you know, parents finding out about their kids, kids gone wild, like, yeah, Baylor, the Baptist school. <laughs> Whereas, like, you know, University of Texas or, or Texas State, the other schools around there, like, they didn't care. Those kids just were college kids. But um, Did you have different rules for when boys could move off campus? Move off campus? No, that wasn't no. a thing. No. Did your college? The Nazarene universities do. Like, yeah. uh, well, I don't know if they still do. When I was going, um, women, I think, had to stay on campus. and But men could move off campus as juniors. And are we less trustworthy with our sexuality duh. or partiness or something? Virginity. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you can't wear, can't wear I those mean, low, low cut blouses the and cow short skirts. has got to be pure or it's all <laughs> forsaken. Um, so uh, fast forward into my mid twenties and we had some family members at the house during uh, Ash Wednesday. And so I had given the message at our church we came back and I was talking about how, man, I was just tired at the end of the day and how uh, preparing for that message in the, at the beginning of the day, kind of getting everything ready. And this other person in my family was you know, trying to listen to me, but then, cause I'm just being honest, I'm like, I'm just tired. And it was Ash Wednesday for crying out loud. And she just says, well, you just got to crucify the flesh. Oh God. And it was a very like, uh, intense oh. judgmental, like, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not allowed to be tired. Oh God. Crucify yeah. the flesh because the soul's got to do God's work. And, I mean, that stuck with me for years like, that a family member would say that. I'm going, how are you not honest with your own yeah. tiredness and whatever yeah. you do in life? But yep, yeah. got to crucify it though, people. How about, yeah, how about you, Joshua? How'd you grow up? Um, I, I grew up more in a very similar to all of y'all, but um, I think it was more of a focus on salvation is connected to the soul. So, you know, you say say the prayer and and you're saved. And then almost the soul gets kind of set on the shelf and it is more of a lifetime focus on, you know, crucifying your flesh and beating your body into submission so that you could please God. Um, So it was like never your salvation was in question, um, but at the same time, like in the same breath, you need to um, make sure you beat your flesh into submission and, you know, do all the the things that Christians do. Um, so it's, a, it's an interesting, it's an interesting way of um, control, I guess I see as of now. Um, but yeah, the soul really wasn't talked about once you're saved. Like once you're saved, you're good. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a tradition where um, your salvation was ever in question once you said that prayer. Like once you said that prayer, you're good. Like you can't even walk away if you, you want. We're struggling though. What was the language around that? Yeah, so it was more of um, 
a pleasing God understanding. So, so you're safe for eternity, yeah, but, but right now pleasing. you're going to suffer maybe because you're not pleasing God. So it was more of like God is your, like a, a literal father, like literally punishing you right now because you're not doing the right thing. So yeah, the soul was never really, you know, talked about in conjunction with how I live my daily life. It was more of just a, okay, you're saved. Great. Now, now comes the work. Now, now it's time to, to whip that body into submission. So at least that's how I understood it. So the soul's imprisoned in this flesh. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But weirdly in the tradition I grew up in, your soul was just put into a new body when you went to heaven, which always seemed weird to me. It's like, okay, you dump this body and you get a new body. Why do? Why does the soul have to be encased in a body in heaven? That that seems strange to me in retrospect. Yeah, yeah. Even the idea of of the soul floating. I mean, we we we've seen these pictures before, even in cartoons with I don't know what the coyote, right? Was is that it? <laughs> yeah, Wiley like, yeah, floating <laughs> above. I mean, can you you grow up with this mindset in the West where the, you die and the soul floats somewhere? Yeah. Well, people talk about that in near-death experiences, too. They they talk about hovering at the ceiling, looking down on themselves. So it's it's an idea that's still being thought mm-hmm. of and talked about. So, yeah, well, I, clearly, like, we, 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 we're no longer Southern Baptist, Nazarene, conservative, fundamentalist. What do y'all think today? What What is the soul today? I'm curious if any of these notes triggered anything within you that made you think more about what is your current definition of the soul? So I used to always feel like the soul was my own and I was more focused on my own. And then once mine was secure, you know, then it's all about saving other souls. Well, now I really have more of an understanding or a belief, I guess you could say, of um, connectiveness, connectedness of all of us, um, that we all, all of our souls are like connected. So instead of the soul being so specific, it's more um, diverse and it's bigger. I'm kind of like my idea of God is much bigger. I used to believe God only cared about one group of people. Now I believe, you know, it's just all about um, how you view God. But yeah, I I think nowadays it's more of um, how to find that uh, similarity and that connection with other people and their, uh, and the soul that ties us together. Um, And so that's been an interesting turn in my faith journey. Um, because it really was um, a burden to care about somebody else's individual yes. soul. Yes. yes. But now I really feel uh, that weight is lifted, and I feel more of a um, an intrigue into how are we connected and how can I get to know somebody in a different light. So, so I got a little bit like shook up by Jason Whitehead at our. Uh, Brew theology extravaganza. Listen to episode one hundred and six. Six. He was the, the first speaker. And so, Jason, I'm sorry. I'm tired. It's the end of the day, and I will not summarize anything well. Um, but what what he said, Baird and I went back and listened to it on the car ride for Thanksgiving, and talked about it for quite a while. And just the concept that that we have objectified the soul and made it this other. And what would it mean? What does it mean to let go of that and just be? Um, and I, that is, to- Jason, I'm sorry. That's totally like <laughs> substandard summary. Okay. Go back to episode 106, everybody, and listen to it. Um, 
but it was it was challenging to me um, that maybe this whole con- concept that we have is just wrong, and it doesn't work that way. That we're not, it's not this separate thing. Um, and also, something my mentors, actually several different people have said to me in the last six to eight months is, you need to get connected to your body. And I'm, I'm struggling with that because I don't quite exactly know what that means, but I think it has a lot to do with this discussion of that my my purpose, my value, my being is all in my soul but i need to i'm i'm here in this body and they're not disconnected but maybe i'm living like they are and so you know that brings up this whole discussion we've had of like what does it mean to stop separating yourself from your soul and i think for and, and it may have to do with personality differences and backgrounds but like for some of us that may be a very conscious thing that we have to do to reconnect with our bodies i i definitely see that in myself i although i always have said for years that i live too much in my brain and not in my body enough so that when i was a kid if i was stressed or i wanted to feel good i would go out and ride my bike for an hour uh-huh. i would swim for 3 hours in the pool i would walk in rainstorms for hours at night but as i became an adult i lost touch with what felt good to my body because yeah. i'm always in my brain i'm always thinking 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 and it's such a disconnect um but this this whole discussion made me realize that i just don't even think about the soul anymore i think a lot about spiritual issues but it's been a long time since I've thought about whether I believe there's a soul and if it exists outside of my body, like if my body dies, will my soul go on? It's been a long time since I've really sat and thought these things through. Wow. So it, it was an interesting discussion and I'm still, a part of me has kind of a shallow definition that your soul is, is just your personality, the thing that makes you different from all the other souls around you. And so nobody else can share your soul. Nobody else has a soul like yours. So we're all unique in that way. Except when you meet that person and you're like, oh, I know you. Yeah. Like, I, yeah. And that doesn't happen very often. It's happened it's, to me uh, before. Like though. a soul sister. Yeah. yeah. Soul brother. Brother. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. you just it's instantly to me a like, times. I know you yeah. and you know yeah. me. I, I think there are definitely soul connections for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, where does that come from? Because other people, your your souls are clashing, and it's weird. And you even look at them as an individual, saying, "There's nothing wrong with this person. They're intelligent. Yeah. They're yeah. they're kind. They're good." I just it just don't, doesn't click. My soul doesn't connect. Yeah, I think if we use the the language of the body of Christ, you know, like we're all different parts of the body. We all have heard that. Um, I've kind of. I wonder if that's more of like you know, if you're a pointer finger, you meet a middle finger, and you have that like connection you're like oh there's something with you uh-huh. that's similar to me but then when you meet a knee you're kind of like oh, I, I don't know i don't know why you're here <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't know you're just gonna I, fall down and get scabbed <laughs> up I, you know you're a little three-year-old kid yeah. right no, that makes sense years ago this friend of mine are we allowed to swear on this podcast yes okay hell well, yes, yes. <laughs> See, I said hell and you said the F word. <laughs> I have children in this tell house. You, years ago, this friend of mine wore a, a thing to church, a sticker that said, uh, 
that we're all part of the body of Christ, so we're all important. It's just too bad you got stuck being the asshole. <laughs> and he wore it proudly to Sunday service. That's, it was pretty that's funny. That's fantastic. <laughs> Which then takes me back to a little Ryan bit Ryan would make this t-shirt and it would be the scrotum. Uh, I would. I, I'm just thinking about Wayne's world right now. Asphincter says what? Asphincter says what? Here we go. Thank you, Mike Myers. <laughs> Talking about sphincters. One of and the deep influences of your youth, I can see. Mm-hmm. That, and, that and Beavis and Butthead. Talking about a soul brother. Yeah. <laughs> Were you more into Ren and Stimpy or Beavis and Butthead? Neither. Neither? No, that was, no, that was dirty TV. Bart Simpson was my guy. You're he was so, my soul brother. Oh, Bart. so dirty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I was only allowed to watch Arthur. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mr. Rogers. Oh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, as, as one should. Well, as a as a kid, I couldn't watch any of those shows, but as an adult, Bart Simpson's my man. <laughs> yeah, I snuck a lot of Simpsons and Beavis and Butthead throughout the years until I was in high school. Then my parents like, whatever, let them watch it. Oh man. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on what. Um, and I got this from uh, Rabbi Naomi Levy. Not Levi. It's so funny how the Westerner comes out, Levi. And, and she talks about it in the book of Proverbs that God's candle is the human soul. That's cool because God is light. And then Jesus says, you're the light of the world. That's, that's fun to play with. So she talks about in the mystical tradition, so probably in the Kabbalah, that the rabbis envision that the soul has these layers likened to like a flame, a, a candle. And if you don't like fire, it's okay. Just fast forward. <laughs> Some people... <laughs> If you have a fear of candles and flames, <laughs> but I, I do like this because just it, think about it, the three types stages of water. It, 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 it does give you a really good picture and a metaphor. So the the blue level of the flame, it's that lowest level, the nefesh. So that's that would be the life force. So that's where we share. We all share that with all living things. It is that. It, it's kind of like the basic Genesis story of God breathes into the dirt, and then there is nefesh. There is life. And then there's the yellow part of the flame, which is that ruach that she calls it the love force. And that's the seat of emotions, the door to intimacy, the depth of your heart, this wisdom. This, and this, that's like the key to our calling. Going back to the question of, of the Roman soldier who says, Jew, who are you and why are you here? And so as a rabbi, he's going to every day be like, yeah, I know why I'm here. I should know why I'm here. And then there's that invisible part of the flame. That's the mystical, very, um, we don't know where, but we know it's there. We can feel the heat, but we can't see it. So that's the uppermost level. It's the neshama, which is this eternal force of the soul. And that's that window to experiencing heaven on earth and allowing us to have that, as you were saying, Joshua, that uh, connectivity with all living things, becoming one with God's flow, the echad, the oneness with God and with all living things. But yet, that's that's the one that's like obviously it's going to be the hardest one to to reach and to attain. Now, not all Jewish rabbis believe this. This is part of the mystical tradition. I liked it. Again, this is the Cliff's Notes version. Curious what y'all think about it. If you think it's just not relevant at all, we can dismiss that and move on. Or if there's something to this that you're going, ah, I dig that. I think it lines up with other. Um ways of talking about spiritual journeys. Um, uh, James Fowler's stages of faith. He's got five or six, so they don't quite 
mesh perfectly, but just Thomas Merton's um, seven story. Yeah. What was it? Joel Osteen's five happy hops to the better you. <laughs> okay. No. Fine. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> uh, y'all are being serious. Okay. My Beavis and Butthead brain was popping up. <laughs> okay. We forgive you. <laughs> Sorry, Joel. Janelle, what were you trying to say? <laughs> I was trying <laughs> trying to say that I think that we see this even in our own journeys, like a lot of what happens for people that come from our kinds of backgrounds is, is many people just never can get past it. Um, they'll often, uh, one of the, the metaphors I've seen is you, you come up to the fence and you see that there's more beyond it and you might even sit on it and you might throw a leg over, but at the point you do that, you have to choose. Am I going to hold on to what's in my yard or am I going to go and find out what else is out there? And so for a lot of really loving, authentic, good, awesome people, that's where they get to. They get to the fence and they can't or choose not to go any further than that. And I don't, I don't think that means that they can't get to the blue, yellow, and invisible levels where they are. Um, but I do think that that will be limited by the amount of the world and the amount of the cosmos they're willing to engage with and see. And so once you step past that, you know, your, your personal interpretation of your faith changes. And then one of the next steps is, starting to see that all faith traditions have some commonalities and that we share them and we start to be more connected, um, you know, in unity with other people in other traditions and then unity with the earth, with animals, with creation. And then that starts to become much bigger. And that movement outward is also a movement deeper most of the time. And so I think that, I think that what she's alluding to is something that we see reflected in a lot of other spiritual people um, and how they talk about what it means to grow in your faith. You talked about being connected and how it even affects animals. I've been reading Uh a book this week called how I found God in every one and everywhere, something like that. And it was talking about Jane Goodall who said that the reason that, she pursued her um, study of apes and her her lifelong passion of these creatures was because she believes that there's a soul in every living creature from the tiniest living being to humans to whatever. And that was what inspired her to her life's work. And I thought that was a, a beautiful, I'm not sure I agree with it, but I thought it was a beautiful way to view our interconnectedness with nature and people and that they have souls that were all part of part of this soul somehow. Yeah. And it matters how we treat animals and other things. Well, and I think, I think one of the things this presses up against for us right now is kind of our materialistic capitalistic worldview. Because if I start to admit that pigs or is uh, someone told me, I don't know if this is right. You can check it as smart as a third grader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're okay. very smart animals. <laughs> Should they be something that we're eating? Mm-hmm. Um, How does the third grader taste? I don't know. <laughs> like bacon? <laughs> so bad. 
Yeah, the, the same the same article was talking about that actually is that this person is a can no longer eat meat because of that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, but but we're basically animals and, and right. jaguars are gonna eat other animals, so why can't humans? <laughs> Okay, so here's the chicks trying to keep it, you know, solid, and the, <laughs> the dudes are losing it. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I just but don't I, think I, I could ever eat pig again without thinking of a third grader. <laughs> but I think that's that's one of the challenges when your world widens is that then you're confronted with these truths. Mm-hmm. And so what am I going to do with those? Yep. How far um, will I go with it? How far will I go? I won't give up bacon, but... <laughs> how do I want to interact with the world? Right. What... What what can I do? Um, so like coming back with a renewed sense of like climate issues. Okay, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Does that mean buying a new car, a different kind of car? Does that mean um, changing some of my own personal practices? Like how do I do that? And that takes time and energy and learning. And it's in the middle of the holiday season. But you know what? My world is is wider and more aware. And so if I'm going to be real with that, I have to do that work. And I think that that's what scares me is when that bumps up against capitalism and materialism, it's really easy to just go back yeah, and just do what I because know. Because that's where the change has to get personal. Because it's working and I can do Christmas the way I want and eat out as much as I want and do all the things and I don't have to think about the impacts of that. And that this is not meant to be shaming at all. I want to state that explicitly. I'm not trying to push a different kind of fundamentalism. I'm just saying that when we start to see a bigger world, how we respond to that is is what helps us interact with it different, interact with each other differently, and that's challenging and it's hard and not everybody's going to do it. And that's statistics. That's not shame. That's yeah. just pure we all statistics. Have a limit of, of what we are willing to do to change that's humanity for yep. you. You know, the crazy thing is, is whether you're a fundamentalist or you are a progressive Christian who, who loves the Genesis story as a, a great narrative that helps describe humanity and creation, because you can look at it both ways and say, we should probably all be vegetarian. And there are a lot of Christians who, who are conservative Christians who are a vegetarian because of the creation story. And uh, obviously a lot of progressive Christians who are as well, though, even you know, some that we know of as well, who... They're like, yeah, the yeah, if it's all connected and all things matter, I mean, what are we doing to our planet? Right. Um, and yeah, and that's stuff that like it's hard for a person like me whose dad is a cattleman, and that's how I was able to go to school, to go to college, to probably well even continue my education throughout the years was based on killing cattle. I mean, like it, that's what it comes down to. So. What do you do if that's that's the world that you've grown up in? I mean, you're from Iowa, Elizabeth, mm. and pig everything. Right. There's, I mean, the agricultural business. What are you going to just tell farmers and ranchers and cattlemen? And like, sorry, um, you. Well, no, I, I think I, it's just hard to 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 say you have to choose a new profession now. This is well, all yeah. that you've known your entire yeah. life. So here's a funny bunny trail. Yeah. I'll I'll take us off course for a second. So in college, I was a debater. I'm sure you're all shocked to hear that. Um, yeah. This is why this group's like therapy for her. She's like, I can't debate? Okay. Uh, I had to die, die the dialogue. I can do that. I can do that. Just but, kidding. So for one of those, um, I think it must have been a climate topic. And so this was when, this was like before Google. 
yes, I'm that old. Um, and so there was a time before Google. Yeah. So I was trying to figure out like how to like, it was something to do with making a big impact on climate and how do you do that? And so as a debater, you want to find something that other people haven't found yet. So I went down like 10 or 20 pages of search results and I found this German group that had made a poop recycling system that was used all over Africa and was starting to be used in Europe. And it was all of the plans and how to build it and how to put it together and to get it going. And the amount of methane that you can reduce going into the atmosphere by having these kinds of recycling systems, it makes a huge difference in the production of meat for, for consumption. So like things like that, that there are ways that even if that's your livelihood, it maybe it will cut into your profit, but is there a way to capture and sink that methane so that it's not going into the atmosphere so that you can still eat and feed your family and send them to college, but also impact what is the long-term impact of this? And that's just one tiny example. But back then, like that was revolutionary to find a way to repurpose that and reuse waste to do something else with else with in in africa they were using that to heat homes and villages with the methane off of that so i mean i think that there are lots of ways to do it but it's it's about again capitalistic systems if profit is the only bottom line then you have no incentive to do that um at all and, I, and and that's sad to me. Like I, the phrase that I keep using lately is capitalism doesn't have any morals. We have to do that. We have to be those morals. We have to provide those ethics to our capitalism. And that's not something that we're doing such a great job of right now. Yeah, I would agree with you. Huh. So how is your soul, how is it awakened? And maybe we're jumping the gun t- till the end, but I'm, I'm, I'm curious before we get to the ego, because you're going to have to get very real and vulnerable tonight. Yay! <laughs> oh, wait, nobody uh, told me about oh, that. Oh, yeah. This, this, by the way, this discussion is not just, I said it was about soul, but really it's about ego. We're getting to the ego later. How is your soul awakened? For me, um, I guess, uh, the, I've been thinking about this a lot in our discussion, but the the two analogies I can draw are the Christianity I'm used to or the faith that I'm used to is really um, the imagery is a vacuum or a black hole. So either way, it's all about bringing everybody into yourself or into your ideas and into your understanding. And that's the goal in life is sucking in the world so that into the image of God. And ironically, once my deconstruction started, it was like the vacuum was turned off or the black hole was snuffed out. And now all of a sudden um, there's stillness and I have the opportunity for the first time to explore this vast universe, to explore this crazy messy house that I find myself in and really just um, see God in other things instead of just thinking God is in me and I need to show other people this God. Um, and that has had a profound impact on my understanding of soul is just being like, okay, how do you see it? And then, and then 
instead of trying to explain my way to you, it's more of how do I incorporate the way you see this into my belief? Um, it allows me to, you know, explain. It allows me to be myself and and give myself to the world. But at the same time, it it, it forces me into a position of humility, um, to where I, I have to experience God in ways I'm not comfortable with or I'm not familiar with. Oh, it sounds very collaborative. I love it. Like we're all in this together. It is not just me performing for God to make sure that I get where I need to go. It's a whole different journey. 